that. Um, so today we're going to continue in this series, Matthew Gospel uh, of the Kingdom. And today's message is your will be done. Your will be done. And I want to invite your attention to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And we're really going to focus in on that B part of the verse. Last week was the A part of the verse. This week, the B part of that verse. So it's the, the word of the Lord says from the English Standard Version, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, last week we spent time sharing a message using, using three simple but powerful words. Your kingdom come. Okay? Each of these words represents significant elements of the king and his kingdom. Indeed, the word your indicates an exclusivity belonging only to God. You, God, no other. Yours and yours alone. What you have, O oh God, we need. We cannot be fulfilled or even satisfied on any meaningful level without you, O oh God. Is it you, Lord, that we need? Absolutely, it is you, Lord, that we need. If you don't get anything else from last week, remember that. We need him. We need the you alone nature of God. But as we, uh, but we as fallen creatures, we try so many other means to satisfy the longing for Jesus that rests in our souls. At times we thought that our longing for Christ was something we could satisfy with the things of this world. How many people have done that before? Just throw your hand up real fast. Don't let nobody see. We thought that it was worldly items, material things, relational things, destructive things, hurtful things, Helpful things that turned out later to be hurtful. Amen? We thought that we could fill the gaping hole in our spirit, in our soul, with things that were man-made. Then we learn the first part of what we need. We need him. We need his kingdom. We need your kingdom, Lord. We need the safety of your rule and your realm manifested in our hearts, our minds, our church, our world, and in our future. We need the kingdom, Lord, your kingdom. That is eternity past, present with us, and eternity future. We learned last week that the kingdoms of this world are soon to pass away. And here's a dangerous dynamic that happens even for believers. And the enemy kind of wants us to be in this, in this, in this uh, mindset. And that is we tend to treat the temporary like it's permanent. 
while we treat the permanent like it's temporary. And so we, we vest time, effort, and energy into those things in this world that are going to pass away. The kingdoms of this world, America, Great Britain, Russia, China, all the kingdoms of this world will pass away. But there is one kingdom. I wish I had a witness here. There is one kingdom that will never pass away. We need your kingdom, Lord. We need yours and yours alone. Then finally, our recap of last week takes us to what we need the kingdom of God to do. We need the kingdom of God to come now. There is a sense of urgency expressed in this prayer. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come not later. But for those of us who pray this prayer that Jesus taught, we should have some sense of urgency on our hearts. Lord, we need your kingdom to come now. As we survey the state of this world, as we look at the devastating effects of sin, as we visualize the damage done by sin to the lives of those who are without Christ as Savior, then an urgency for the kingdom should fill our hearts, minds, our prayers, and our actions. We need the kingdom of Christ to come now. Come, Lord Jesus, to save the lost. We need the kingdom to come to heal the sick. We need the kingdom to come and to bless our secular leadership. We need the kingdom to save the father who neglects his family. We need the kingdom to help him see his worth and his value to the king of kings. We need the kingdom to come and minister to the mother who is rearing her children alone and is at her wit's end, not knowing what pain tomorrow may hold. We need the kingdom to come with urgency. And I told you what helps that kingdom come is when you and I as believers begin to connect to and speak into the lives of those who are in need of the kingdom. When we open our mouths and say there is a king, uh, when we say in our hearts there is a king who is a savior, who is the rock of ages, who is God almighty, who is a mighty God, who is an ever, when I get to yours just say something, an everlasting father, the prince of peace, a wonderful counselor. He is Jesus. We need that kingdom to come with urgency. And so as we pray that prayer, we pray it with this degree of urgency in our hearts. Lord, your kingdom come. And as we now turn our collective attention to this element that drives the kingdom of God, let us look at this part B of Matthew 6.10. He says, your kingdom come, but this part we want to focus on. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I've been driving since I was about 16, and I, I, I don't know a lot about cars, and, 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 but I know something that, that is important that if a car doesn't have an engine, it's not going, right? No matter how good the outside of the car looks or shines, 
it cannot move without the engine. There is a difference, my brothers and sisters, between the appearance of the kingdom, which is the shine, and the actual kingdom, which is the realm and the rule of God. Sometimes on Sunday morning, we get a little too excited about the shine. Do I have a witness here? Huh? Yeah. We get, we get too excited about the shine. Look at us. Look at how we're worshiping. Look at how we're praying. We get excited about the shine. But see, if you know anything about cars and elements and all those things, every now and then that shine has to be renewed. It wears off, doesn't it? And so the real and actual kingdom is the realm and the rule of God. Regarding the rule of God, Dr. Tony Evans says this. He says, trusting Jesus for your salvation will get you to heaven. But trusting Jesus Christ for your salvation doesn't automatically get heaven to come down to you. Getting into God's kingdom is through conversion. But experiencing kingdom in your daily life is through commitment. Some of us just want to be converted. We're not interested in being committed. Amen. We, y'all can get quiet if you want to. I'm going to preach this anyway. I'm just... Just so you know, look at what the world, you don't believe me, look at what the world thinks of our faith. Many believe that other religions like Islam, for example, are far more valid because of the visible commitment necessary to live as a Muslim. Here we are as Christians, blessed with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, transformed from sinner to saved by grace, and yet you can hardly tell because we have such a shallow commitment to our faith and the kingdom. Think of the things in your life that take priority over the kingdom. And we have some good excuses. Don't get me wrong. Some of these things are pretty good things, like your children, right? Children, that's, that's a blessing. But let me tell you what God thinks about children when it comes to the kingdom. God called up Abraham one day, said, this son of promise that I gave you, that you've been rearing and knowing and getting to love, you take him up to the mountain and kill him in my name. Now, I don't know about you. There are times when I might feel like my children. Well, maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> there are times when, when I look at them, I say, you would be glad I'm saved. I'm just saying. I... <laughs> but here was God saying to, Abram, to Abraham, go up, take Isaac to the mountain and sacrifice him for the sake of my kingdom. That had not even appeared as of yet. Then some of us take our jobs. And we say, our job, my job is so important that I really don't have time to to get into the kingdom. Because, see, having a job is a good thing. I, I need money. I need a roof over my head. I need food to eat. And job gives me money so I can buy all those things that are necessary for my family. Well... What about your job? Jesus walks up to a bunch of fishermen 
who, contrary to popular belief, were doing pretty good. That one day in the Bible, they were just having a bad day. (laughs) But that was so that Jesus could manifest the glory of God. When he said, let down your nets on the other side of the boat. See, some of y'all fishing on the wrong side. I just want to throw that in for free, but... But that's why you don't have a catch. You're fishing on the wrong side. But, but he says, let down your net on the other side of the boat. And, and behold, all of the fish that they had thought they would catch, they came. And Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. And they laid down those nets, left their jobs. Now, how that, do you think that conversation went over with Mrs. Peter? Wait, somebody you didn't know told you to let down that you caught a few fish because you know it's always going to be just a few fish it wasn't you know and you're going to quit your job to follow this dude around if mental health services would have been available I am sure Mrs. Peter been like 911 <laughs> what's your emergency my, my husband's went crazy but he left his job To give everything to the promise of this kingdom. Some of us are tied to money. And that prohibits us from dealing with the kingdom on the way in which we should. And we end up like that rich young ruler who who came to Jesus and said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what have you done? He says, I've done this, I've done that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, take everything you have and give it away to the poor and follow me. And he's like, oh, that's where I got to go. And the Bible says he went away very sad because he was very rich. And Jesus says it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Because money can be one of those things that keeps us away from his kingdom. Even our safety becomes important. I can't go there because it's not safe. I can't, I can't minister there because... It's not safe. I can't go and talk to former gang members because it's not safe. I can't share the gospel with them because it's not safe. I'll tell you a story about the, one of the few gang funerals I attended. And the guy that was preaching the funeral, I came and, and uh, got there and he knew it was a gang funeral. And he said, now, Pastor, which way are you going to run in case something break out? Basically, he was telling me, I, didn't want, I don't want to run over you trying to get away. <laughs> so, so, he, so I said, well, why would we be running? At this time is a great opportunity to share the gospel with these young men because they are more aware of their own mortality right now than any other time. Because they was bad as they said they was when the gunfire started, they wouldn't run. You're not as tough as you think because you run. Because you want to live. And so we came back from the cemetery. There's a bunch of young men standing around next door to church in the parking lot. And I drove up to them. And, you know, I don't have good sense. So I wasn't thinking at all about being unsafe. I was like, okay, God, you're telling me I need to talk to these young men. And they had their little ritual going with the 40 ounce. You know, you got to pour a little on the ground for the, for the dead homies. You know, and... And they, they were doing that, and then he'd take a drink of the, of the 40 ounce, and, and the guy turned around, and he looked at me, and his jaws was like this. I said, boy, you better swallow that beer for you choke. 
But it just shows you that if you take the time to talk to some of these young men who have known nothing but death and destruction, they want to hear a message of hope and of life. Come on, give God some praise for that. We can't be afraid. We can't be afraid. The Apostle Paul risks his life daily for the sake of the gospel. In Romans 8 and 36, he says this, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But he's talking about even that can't separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. So what is it that is more important to you than the kingdom of God? That is a tough question, especially when it comes to things or people we love. God's kingdom is made visible. Watch this now. Because the rule and the authority of God is manifest or demonstrated and visible in the lives of believers. We are the ones who show this world what the kingdom of God looks like. Your will be done. What does that mean? Three important dynamics regarding God's will. First of all, let's look at God's will in the context of prayer. In this text, Jesus is teaching us that we should pray For the will of God to be done. As we do so, let us consider the challenging theological question that arises out of this consideration of of, of God's will being done. If God is who he says he is, he does what he wants. So then why should I pray for his will? God is God, right? Why should I pray for his will? Now, in the context of praying that God's will be done, we are praying for three things regarding his will. Number one, we are praying that God's will be done now on earth as it is done in heaven. The Greek word there for will is thelema, and it means that God's will includes both his demands for righteousness and also his determination to bring about events in salvation history. So when we pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are really praying for moral obedience and the bringing about of certain events relating to salvation. And one example is the cross. The cross has happened, but the manifestation of the cross into the lives of unbelievers, we're praying for that. This prayer corresponds to asking for the present extension of the messianic kingdom of Christ. God's will for the obedience of believers to present the gospel of Jesus to unbelievers. Now, I said a lot to get to that part right there. We are praying that we would obey our calling from a moral obedience perspective to share the gospel with those people who don't know Jesus. 
Now, the second request contained in this prayer, uh, context of God's will, is that his will may be fully accomplished in heaven. This means that we are asking for the ultimate consummation of the messianic rule of Christ. So then we are not simply praying for the visible kingdom now, but for the ultimate and revealed kingdom that is to come. We likely would pray this earnestly if we were not so attached to this world. So we wouldn't be praying so hard for, or we'd be praying harder for the coming kingdom if we weren't so attached to this world. Because to see the coming kingdom and the messianic fulfillment means that this world is going bye-bye. Now the third element of God's will in the context of prayer is that we are praying for God's will to be done on the earth the same way as it is now accomplished in heaven. In Matthew 5, Jesus had to teach on God's will because we needed to know the dynamics of righteousness. So he starts teaching on what is right. He starts reminding us on how we are to live. However, in the fully consummated kingdom of our Lord, there'll be no need for this type of teaching because the will of God will flow on the earth just like it flows in heaven, freely, openly, spontaneously, and without the need to juxtapose God's will with evil. In the consummated kingdom of our Lord, there will be no evil by which we need to contrast the will of God. Right now, we, we put God's will for righteousness up against what is evil. And we use that to to try to keep us from doing that which is evil because it's evil to lie and to steal and to kill and all those things. And we say, so God's will is that you do not do these things. But in the consummated kingdom, God's will will flow openly. It will be as natural as you feel blinking your eyes. Imagine if you couldn't blink. Some of y'all would learn to go to sleep with your eyes open. But it's natural to do that. You don't even think about it. You don't even think about telling your mind, oh, uh, it's time for you to breathe. You don't do that. It's natural. And in, and in the consummated kingdom, God's will will be just as natural or more natural than that to us. In addition, we now need to turn our attention to what is meant by this phrase, will of God because this gets this gets confusing sometimes when we think about what is the will of God we see it in scripture in Romans 12 we say that you're the good and perfect will of God we see this 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 phrase uh, about doing God's will so what is God's will what, what is it meant by the will of God let's go in a little more detail now and there are two elements that really get into this idea of the will of God first is the decreed will of God. And the second one is the revealed will of God. Okay. So decreed and revealed. All right. Now the decreed will of God is God's predetermined will, which he alone as sovereign God knows purposes and accomplish. So only God knows this decreed will of God. 
Only God knows the purposes and only God knows how and when he will accomplish his decree will. Let me tell you something for the safety of your heart and to keep you out of trouble. God doesn't have to tell you or I what he's going to do. He doesn't owe us a why, (laughs) an explanation. He doesn't owe us any of those things. And so so that you won't fret, understand that if God chooses to move what is from his decreed will, something to his revealed will, then that's his choice. So one of the things I encourage people when they come to me and they say, Pastor, I don't know why God is not answering my prayer. I don't know why I'm suffering. And I would say to them, mostly, I don't know why either. (laughs) But I can tell you this. Maybe what you should be praying is less God, why me? And more God, what are you trying to teach me? Come on, you ought to give God some praise right there. That ought, that's a praiseworthy moment. What, what do I need to learn through this suffering? Is some of this suffering uh, self-imposed suffering? Because I decided to do my own thing when I wanted to do it, and, and, and I dared anybody to, to tell me I can't, and when it didn't work out, now I'm crying that God doesn't understand, and I'm hurting, and, and all that kind of thing. Well, I found that's where a lot of my suffering has been in life. Because of decisions I made that it was outside the revealed will of God for me. So this is the, the decreed will of God is God's plan for everything, including his will to create the universe, create mankind as image bearers with moral and spiritual capacities like his. I mean, the psalmist asked this question, what is man that thou art mine for him? And why, why did you make us? Well, that's in the decreed will of God. That's, he, doesn't, he doesn't have to explain that. You know, we, we, we are created in his image. We have moral and spiritual capacities like his. This includes all of human and redemptive history from the fall of Satan to the fall of Adam to Abraham and Israel and Exodus and incarnation of Jesus and his death and resurrection and the church and the future heaven and earth. It includes all the dramas of human history on the macro and the micro scale. Kings and empires, all the way down to little kids in the nursery having some drama over a toy. Why? All of it is in God's plan. The scripture teaches us whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Then it says in Daniel Four and 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Anybody here tough enough to confront God? <laughs> so you're not going to say that now because... <laughs> You know, in your mind and our heart sometimes, God, what are you doing? How dare I ask him that question? 
Then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Your life, my life, the circumstances surrounding our lives, God has worked all things according to the counsel of his will. You ever wonder why nature doesn't have a big problem with that? It gets cold, the birds fly south. It warms up, they come back. In the morning, in the rotation of the world, the sun appears to rise in the east. It appears to set in the west. The moon comes out, goes through its face. Nature has no problem with any of that. It's us. And I think that was why the psalmist had to ask that question. What is man that you would mind for him and the son of man that you would visit him? Because we're the ones that have all the questions. You know, you ever see a dog saying, I don't know why God made me a dog. I probably could have been a better cat. But you don't, you don't see, you don't hear that. Everything flows the way God intended it for it to flow. But human beings... We are the ones who have been gifted the, the, the gift of reasoning. And instead of using that reasoning to really glorify God in all that he's done, sin has us using it to find out why we can't be getting what we want. So we start reasoning, well, why God? Why did you do this? And we want to question that. So God's will shall be done, and there is nothing Satan or anyone else can do to thwart the will of God while creating certain theological and philosophical challenges for us with our, our sense of our own freedom to choose. This still should be a great comfort to us. God's will is eternal and unchanging and unassailable, even by the fallen archangel whose rebellion only serves to fulfill God's plan as well. Satan thought he was doing his own thing and he was in the plan of God for the whole time. (laughs) You ever had that feeling that something you've done and you find out this was God's plan the whole time? God will fulfill his plan. God will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Of course, for his people, God's determined will provides us comfort when it seems that the enemy is winning or evil or trouble has come upon us. It is this eternal and unchanging will that lies behind this precious promise in Romans 8. And we know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Here is the thing about this aspect of God's will. Only God knows it. We don't know tomorrow. We don't know even know what the rest of this day will hold for us. Only God knows. When we pray, your will be done, we are not praying this aspect of God's will because we don't know what his decreed will is. We are praying this second aspect and this second dynamic regarding God's will is not the decreed will of God, but it is the revealed will of God. 
How has God revealed his will? God's word is God's will. Now look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God's word is God's will. Okay? God's word is God's will. Let that marinate in your heart. God's word is God's will. Because here's what God's word is not. It's not your feelings. It's not what you think ought to happen. It's not because you feel treated wrong. Well, it's got to be God's word, will for me. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes God invites suffering into your life. Suffering can be a tool in the toolbox of an almighty God. If you think about the, the example of the potter and the clay, how comfortable is the pottery wheel for the clay? Not too comfortable. Because on that wheel, while it's spinning, it's being molded, shaped, formed, and when it begins to come together, it's still not done. It has to be sanded down. Wow. So every now and then, God takes a little Holy Ghost sandpaper. And he said, you got a few rough edges that I need to smooth. And so God's will, God's revealed will is God's word. Do you see why uh, him inspiring human authors and writing down his divine will was so important? We have his will right here. This is God's will. Now, what he could have done is give each of us a detailed roadmap of our lives. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Say this. Don't say that. Marry this one. Don't marry that one. I know. I knew that always gets some laughs. Wish I had had that. No, I'm just. You did. It was in here. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. <laughs> I'm deep water now. <laughs> so, so we have his will. He didn't give us a detailed roadmap. God has given us truth for life in words and in sentences that express his will for how we should live. The Bible points us to Christ and provides wisdom for the practical matters of life. And some of those wisdom words are very straightforward, like the Ten Commandments. We like that, right? It tells us exactly, thou shalt not, you know. Others are more precept-driven, like the Proverbs, as an example, that says, consider the ant and how the ant gathers, okay? But the Bible is a fascinating and diverse description of God's will. God provides propositional truth like Romans and real life examples like Saul and Moses and Jezebel. God's word is God's will. God's decreed will is always accomplished as history and our lives outwork according to his eternal purpose. God's revealed will in a fallen world is not accomplished every day. Billions of times as sinners fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's purpose for us. We fall short of God's will whenever we fail to fulfill perfectly, perfectly his revealed will. Now here's an example of fallen human nature and the will of God. The next time you go to a sporting event, watch the fans of the losing team. 
Now, many of you know that I, I, I officiate high school basketball, and yesterday I was in, in, in Triton High School uh, uh, for the regional, and, and I always kind of look at the fans of the losing team. My experience is that upon realizing that their team has lost, they will say things like, oh, my God, as if God somehow let them down because his will did not line up with theirs. Now, next, after you watch the losing team, Pay attention to the winning fans. I've seen people excitedly thank Jesus for the win. As if Jesus was ignoring the losing team. When the Cubs won the World Series, some of y'all was right. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Glory. (laughs) Hallelujah. A hundred and eight years has God is good. And all the time, God is good. <laughs> Cub fans like, move on, Pastor. Come on, listen. Don't be telling all my business. <laughs> they say, thank Jesus because they feel he helped them accomplish their, their, their kids winning a basketball game. Now, I've, I've read God's revealed will a time or two in the scripture, and, 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 and I can't find these words. Thou shalt thank me for the wins and chastise the Lord thy God for the losses. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see that. You know, I, I can't find it. Uh, this is an example of our fallen human nature trying to exert itself over the revealed will of God. God does not care who wins a game. He only cares if you represent Christ. Whatever you do, I wish I had a few witnesses here. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. If you lose... Learn how to lose graciously. Don't blame other folks because there was no referee ever that's right every time. I know it's hard to believe, but that includes me too. all to the glory of God. God's will is that we love him first is ignored as we pursue other things in life as our ultimate meaning. God's will for us to love others is blatantly defied as we are hateful or violent or slanderous or rude to one another. On and on we could go, but I don't have to because you live in this world. You see how many times we violate God's will. It is a world that doesn't desire God's will to be done. Its prevailing desire for this world is my will be done and nobody better interfere. My will is more important than any other will. Yet God's will is so different. God's will is morally beautiful. God's will is described in, in Romans 12 and 2. It says your good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will, God's revealed will leads us towards lives that are pleasing to God. Your will 
May your will be done as expressed in your holy word. Now, the final element of this prayer that Jesus teaches us regarding God's will is that we are to pray for his will to be done. It is not your will be inspirational. You get that? It doesn't say your will be helpful. It doesn't say your will be convenient. It is a very decisive word. It says your will be done. Y'all stay with me here. That ain't nothing but a crying baby. I have preached over a lot of babies. We love babies in this church, don't we? Amen. Babies start crying when you're preaching. That's, that's an amen right there. Jesus said if they won't say nothing to rocks. Might have been talking about the Rockefellers, the Rochesters. The... Anyway, that's a stretch. But but he doesn't say. It's decisive. Your will be done. Right? This aspect of the prayer takes the will as revealed and prays for its accomplishment in my life. It is a prayer of submission. Future tense. Be done. Be done today. Be done tomorrow. Your will be done forever. Not his eternal decreed will. That will be done perfectly and eternally. It is desire of God for me as his child. God, I want what you want to be done. I want what you want to be done in my life. I want what you want to be done in my family. I want what you be done in my vocation. I want what you want to be done in my community. I pray your good, pleasing, and perfect will be the ultimate aim of my life. It is a submission and a surrendering of my personal will to God's will. My personal will is affected by my sin nature. My personal will is circumstantial and emotional and and really weak and flimsy. My personal will trends towards selfishness and self-love. My personal will subtly seeks personal glory and magnification of me. It should be the prayer of every believer. Your will be done. Your will be done in my life. So that I might magnify you above all things. Our Lord teaches us in Matthew 6 how to pray for the revealed will of God to be done in our lives. He tells us that we should pray for God's will to be accomplished in our lives as long as we live. But Jesus does not stop there. For he not only teaches us about total submission to the will of God by his words. But thanks be to the Father that Jesus shows us what total submission to God's will is by his actions. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew wrote about Jesus submitting totally to the will of God. Jesus showed us what is, what is to do when it is hard to face the revealed will of God in our lives. He showed us what to do when it's tough to train up your children in the way they should go. He showed us what to do when it's hard to love your enemies as yourself. He showed us what to do when it's difficult to turn the other cheek. 
He showed us what to do when it's hard to forgive those who have worked against you, who have hurt you, who have wounded you. He showed us what to do with the revealed will of God. Matthew 26 and 39. The word says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't know about you, but I feel good now. Let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, God, can I get out of this situation? It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. I'm going to have to die for those who will not appreciate me dying for them. I'm going to have to die for sinners that I've never committed a sin. But oh, Jesus uses a word that changes the game. On the one hand, I know it's going to be hard, but I all of a sudden there's a nevertheless spirit. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. See, part of our problem is we don't have a nevertheless spirit. Yes, it's hard to follow Jesus. Yes, it's tough to do God's revealed will. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And right after that, He walks up to some disciples of his, his friends, and they were knocked out sleep. He just had a nevertheless moment. See, I want you to understand something. Even when you have to live through the difficulties of God's revealed will, you're not always going to find agreement with your friends. Sometimes they'll go to sleep on you. Oh, I wish I had a few witnesses here. Sometimes they'll look at the phone and see it's your number and they won't answer. They'll be like, "Uh uh-uh, reject. Sometimes they'll leave you by yourself. So what did Jesus do? He asked them, couldn't you watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. But he didn't stay with them. The Bible says he went back a second time. And he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He did it again a third time. And I want you to understand this. Well, why did Jesus do this three times? He did it three times because every now and then in our flesh, we have to remind ourselves that God is a worthy to be praised, that God is worthy to follow, that God's will is worthy to live. And he was saying, not as I will. I'm reminding my flesh every time I say, not as I will, but thy will be done. Dicks, go down there and give your life as a pastor. Lord, I want to be a civil engineer, not as you will. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. You're going to have some hardships. There are going to be some tough pastoral moments. There are going to be some days when people who love you turn their back on you. But I'm glad that I got a point where I said, nevertheless, if my Savior 
could live the revealed word of God, the revealed will of God. And it was for him to die. And he was innocent. How much more can I live the revealed word of God that calls for me to live for Christ? And I'm guilty. I deserve to die. But God says, all I want you to do is live. Live and show this world who my son Jesus is. Live, church. Live through the hardship. Live through the pain. Live through the difficulty. And get a nevertheless spirit and say, not as I will, but thy will be done.